Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. How confident are you when it comes to life's biggest money decisions? What is real financial peace and how can you get it? Chris Flaming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. They bring together the brightest minds to show you how to have a more confident financial future. They empower listeners with common sense concepts and financial wisdom. And now here are your hosts, LPF Advisors. Hey, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here, Chris Fleming, as always. And today I have the pleasure of welcoming Gabrielle Hartley to the show. She has spent over two decades working as a divorce attorney and mediator with a unique ability to resolve the unsolvable conflict by focusing on a productive way forward, even when the situation feels impossible. The vast majority of her work involves mediation, and she's found the time to write two books, Gabrielle, thanks for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's so nice to be here with you today. Yeah. So you have kind of an interesting history of how you came to uh, be where you are now. Why don't you just kind of briefly take me through what led you to the point where we are in the present? How far back do you want to go? I'll start with, (laughs) 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 I might bore you to tears. So, so briefly, you know, I went to law school. My parents had been divorced when I Mm -hmm. had a really quote unquote, good divorce. They were almost braggy about how functional they were. They had shared parenting at a time where that wasn't a thing. It was the 80s. And um, when I went to law school, I was kind of like, I'm done with divorce. I, I know enough about it and I am tired of it. I took mm-hmm. you know, one option of pass fail. I took corporate finance for a grade. I took family law pass fail. Anyway, a few years later, I find myself clerking for a um, top New York State Supreme Court judge in what we call mats in the New York the matrimonial part of mm. divorce court. And my job was to help bring the most high conflict divorces to resolution mm. to save time on the court docket. So I was, you know, very young and I would be sitting in a back room with lawyers and litigators and uh, with the litigators and their clients rather. And help them to bring um, the unsolvable case to a close, to help them reach a resolution. Of course, I wasn't a judge. I was just the court attorney. And from my years working there, I realized how out of control the um, system, the divorce process and system can get for people because it's really designed to escalate, not to resolve. Mm -hmm. And from my background, um, you know, I was pretty surprised at, how adversarial the divorce process still is. And so when I I got married and I moved um, from New York to Massachusetts and um, I opened a law practice, I decided to really focus on mediation, collaborative law, conflict resolution-based cases. And what I found was that still, like most of the practitioners were very high conflict. And so I wrote my first book, which is Better Apart, the Radically Positive Way to Separate. And then during the pandemic, you know, while everybody was making sourdough bread, I was like, I, I think I'm going to write my second do- my second book as my pandemic yeah. project. And that's why I wrote The Secret to Getting Along and Why It's Easier Than You Think. And that's the same topic as my TED Talk. And okay. yeah, and that, that's sort of how I got here. Okay. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you a little bit about the book later. Okay. Um, is that kind of how you came to choose the focus of your field of law that you practice? Was it the experiences in the court working with the high, high conflict yeah, cases? It, I would almost say it chose me. Okay. I really 
was not wanting to be a family lawyer specifically, but Mm -hmm. working in those high conflict divorces and realizing how powerful resolving them Mm. was, uh, how I was, you know, I had the sense as a, as a baby lawyer that I was helping all these kids by keeping their parents out of trial. Mm -hmm. And that, that was, you know, really a great feeling. And, you know, obviously the judge was very happy for a year and a half. We were the only judge and court attorney on um, the borough of Staten Island. And, uh, you know, like half the cast of The Sopranos was walking through with a real life divorce. And my goodness, it was definitely um, not not boring working there. But mm-hmm. yeah, so so then I just couldn't really understand the desire to escalate the argument because when people are serving as lawyers, they're really in this position of being zealous advocates. Mm-hmm. And when you're a zealous advocate and you're only thinking of your client and you're not thinking of the family system, really important things are lost. Mm-hmm. So you're out of the case. The family is still there. So um, any damage that you cause, collateral damage mm-hmm. that you may not see, you may, you know, win the battle and lose the war. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and when there's kids involved, that's <clears throat> that's not a that's not a small thing. No, all. it's not. And even when there aren't kids involved, you know, there is a way usually to reach a resolution with you know just a financial resolution that feels better to people because the process is more respectful because our, our emotions are what drive everything. And what I found really interesting is in these cases that I'm calling high conflict. The secret to resolving them is really, I know I talk a lot, but it's really listening to what's going on underneath the fighting and mm-hmm. allowing the person to be heard. It's like all the conflict tends to melt away when you address the emotional part. Mm-hmm. Right. The, well, people are more open to <clears throat> hearing a possible resolution or solution when you can, when you get past that stuff. Okay. Exactly. So is there, is there something, if you could go back in time and uh, give the younger you some advice. Is there something that you know now that you wish you knew when you started out? Yes. Thank you. That's, that is actually a great question. Um, I wish younger me knew Mm -hmm. that I did not have to stay in litigation as long as I did. Mm -hmm. I wish younger me knew that I could find a, a way to have respect of my peers by mediating. I, I felt very aware of the fact that lawyers kind of look down on mediators and I I did not like that. And Mm -hmm. I also was very aware that mediators agreements are often quite weak. They're filled with agreements to agree. When I worked for the judge, a lot of agreements that came before us were failed mediation agreements because there was a lot of punting. There was unclear Mm -hmm. language, but I wish I had 20 years ago or 15 years ago, however long I transitioned um, from working for the judge, I wish I had realized that there is a way by doing a more robust mediation practice like I do today, where you can have the best of both worlds. You can have a mediation process and have lawyers make sure that all the fine edges are attuned to. And that's the same way I do prenups and I do postnups as a mediator, aware Mm -hmm. of the legal issues. And so that way you're always working together for the best way to unpack and unravel the relationship. Okay. 
Okay. So that kind of leads me to the next thing. Um, what, what would you describe then as your ideal client that you like to work with? I love to work with people who want to resolve their case in a way that is respectful to both people. That's like really the key ingredient. Clients who are um, looking for some self-determination and both parties have to be ready for the process. So I get a lot of calls from people who um, they're the only party who wants to mediate. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to convince somebody else to mediate. Although there, there are certain things you can do, but my ideal client is ready. Also, I do all my mediation online. So they need to be, they don't need to be super tech savvy. And these days, I mean, in 2019, it was less so. That's when I started doing right. online. But right. today, everybody, after living in Zoom world, we're all yeah. able to. Yeah, it's just two clicks. Come on. Exactly. And I, <laughs> and I do a lot of Zoom rooms. So it's yeah. really people who are ready and people who understand that this is the thing. You can't, we know what we know, right? So mm -hmm. I used to think, oh, my clients will be so happy that this is, you know, that I'm providing this great service. But the reality of it is they don't know how bad it could have been, mm -hmm. right? Because they only know how hard mediating is. And it, it is hard. It's still hard. It's still you're having, you're tearing apart a life and creating two separate lives, but it's still better. Right. Yeah. You wish almost there was like a compelling video or a 30 minute movie or something you could show them on how bad it could be with, Maybe with 30 seconds. and stuff. Yeah. yeah That's right. actually a good idea. That's actually a great idea. A screaming a matches or something. <laughs> yeah. Or just how yeah. things get twisted and turned in litigation for sport. Yeah. Almost. yeah. And, and so, by the way, I was just going to say like, if, if you are in court, sometimes you have to litigate. So yeah. I mean, it is what it is, but. So do you, do you think, is there a, is there a big misconception perhaps that people might have about what you do? Uh, or just like, you know, family law mediators or attorneys in general? What's the one you run across a lot? So sometimes people will think that I'm their lawyer because I am a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And I'm, when I'm a mediator, I'm the neutral third party. Mm -hmm. Some people also think mediators don't pay any attention to the law. Now, it is true mediators don't have to pay attention to the law, but I believe mediation always is happening in the shadow of the law. So if I'm mediating Outside of Massachusetts and New York, where I am a practicing attorney, I absolutely require there to be practicing attorneys in the states um, who are giving advice mm -hmm. to the to the parties so that they're making decisions that later on they're not going to be angry with themselves for having entered into without full information. Right. Because they didn't know the legal ramifications of those things. Yeah, they didn't really understand what their rights were. So it's, it's in mediation, you know, you can fashion whatever kind of agreement you want, but you should understand what you could have had before you walk away from it. Yeah. Well, that's an informed decision. Exactly. Right. And that's what people, that's what people want to make. Well, uh, people just want to be honest. People just want to be done. Right. They yeah. often don't want an informed decision. They're like, yeah. all right, all right, all right. Like, you know, yeah, let's, yeah. Go, let's go, keep it going. No, yeah. you want to. Take another week, spend a little more money, go talk to really smart counsel, <clears throat> someone who goes to court and understands all the ins and outs and who respects and supports the litigation process. Mm -hmm. OK, and that that brings up a good uh, question that I had is 
maybe really briefly just take us through what the steps are or the process is in a mediation, right? You don't have to contrast it necessarily with litigating, but just how is that, how is that different? Because there are different steps that take place when you mediate. Okay. So when you litigate, one person serves the other person with a summons Mm -hmm. and complaint or whatever you call it, where you live and the other person answers and you're in fight pose and you're asking for things and in order to request the things you want you have to put exactly you have to put an affidavit an affirmation something that is supporting the fight and in order to win because court is a win-lose paradigm in order to win you have to paint the other person in the worst um, way possible right? right and so and then you wind up saying, oh, my lawyer did it, well, you signed it, blah, blah, blah. So it it really, and and then it escalates and froths up. In mediation, we begin, we're working together to arrive Mm -hmm. a solution that's mutually beneficial. So when you work with me, for instance, in mediation, like I have a lot of ground rules, one of which is no agreements outside mediation, because what happens is you've got the people pleaser who buries their head in the sand. And then you've got the steamroller who's just maybe has better executive function. Who's like, Oh, this makes sense. And then the people pleaser is like, Oh, I guess that sounds good. And then they come in and it all blows up and then everybody's mm-hmm. angry. So the mediation process begins with an unpacking of all the assets, all the debts, all the income, all the expenses, lifestyle, right? What's premarital, what's mm-hmm. marital, what may be marital that's going to be characterized as premarital. There's there's a lot of financial mm-hmm. pieces to unpack. Then we turn to children or maybe the other way around, you know, names, ages. Does anyone have special needs? Mm-hmm. How did parenting go while you were married? How do you visualize parenting going after? So that's sort of like session one. Session two, people come with more documents. We start unpacking each of the pieces. And usually by session three or four, four, sometimes five or six, we start anchoring into an agreement. And that's where I create a memorandum of understanding. Mm -hmm. At any point along the lines, typically I prefer that people come in not having seen a lawyer, but don't make any agreements. Session Between session one and two, go to a lawyer with your questions. Then we can have two sessions without lawyer intervention, and then maybe circle back to the lawyer. A lot of people come into mediation and they're like, oh, I'll just have a lawyer review the agreement at the end. That's Mm -hmm. a problem because by then everybody has anchored into their positions. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Once they've anchored, that's tough to to get them to move because now your feet are in the sand and you've dug in. That's right. And And you think you've and then you think the person changed their mind. Oh, I didn't really understand. We were just talking. And it's like it's a whole mess. Right. So uh, how important is consistent communication then with clients. I mean, you know, this is a really stressful time. It's a big transition in life. So I guess, how do you help de-stress the the process of them going through this? They've sometimes likened it to losing someone like, you know, a death. Uh, There's grieving that goes on afterwards. So how do you uh, personally kind of handle that or help them to, to deal with that? So I do a lot of Zoom rooms where I listen a lot. I'm not a counselor, but it's mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a role of almost counselor-like where you're just letting people feel their feelings. I do encourage most people to get a therapist or a counselor or even a coach, depending on who they are and how they feel about seeking outside help. I do. My first book, Better Apart, is very much focused on developing, getting in touch with your core self, 
um, self-care, and that can look like anything. It, it can cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to cost a lot of money, but surround yourself with elevator people. And that's an easy one. Um, mm-hmm. you know, find people who lift you up, not who drag you down. Don't get rid of friends just because they don't understand where you're at and they are dragging you down. You might not want to spend time with them, but you don't have to cut them out forever. There's, right. there's lots of sort of tips and tricks in that regard. One thing that I do before I start any mediation is we spend about 15 minutes in the first session, maybe a half hour, in a pre-mediation session where I talk a lot about the destructive behavioral tendencies that we all have and how catching yourself when you're activated emotionally Mm -hmm. will let you take a step back and not do one of those destructive behaviors that Mm -hmm. that cause escalation because we really need to peel back the, um, our personality traits that interfere with our ability to get to the resolution. Yeah. Well, and that, that takes a lot, that requires a lot of adult maturity to recognize that in yourself, both step one. And then secondly, to say, Oh, this is going to be destructive. I shouldn't be thinking or acting this way. (laughs) We all know people are amped up more that's the pandemic than they used to be. But at least if, when you bring it up and you say, hey, these are the destructive behaviors that go blow up the process, then you can always refer back and say, hey, we talked about this stuff, right? And this exactly. is rep- representative of, of this happening and we don't want to go down this road. Or that's 100% right. That's why I do it before we even start because I have no idea who, what yeah. anybody's temperament is. Right. And, you know, there's, you know, catastrophizing, minimizing, bury your head in the sand, stirring the pot, steamroll. Yeah and all those things we do and I bring them up in the beginning and then I just say when you're noticing that you're feeling activated in your body you feel your Mm -hmm. heart racing you're feeling Mm -hmm. angry your stomach is churning just take a moment and you know shelve that put that on pause let yourself calm down Mm -hmm. and regroup and you're less likely to act out but yeah it does take a lot a lot of practice Mm mm-hmm yeah. And believe well, me, I mean, I'm not always good at it myself. I mean, I wrote no, the book. Like, I understand are. it. I understand it really, really well. But, you know, people yeah. are annoying and I get angry. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you can't always tell who's crazy just by looking at them. <laughs> that is really true. That's, okay. like not, that's a whole other podcast. That's right. Like a, that's a different conversation. Topic. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned your books. Let's talk a little bit about those. Maybe just real quickly, your motivation for writing them and then what people can expect to learn by, by reading the books. Yeah. Um, so better apart, my motivation was that there were so many people every day I would sit in this chair and across from me, I'd have, you know, five or six people sit in the chair across from me experiencing intense grief, anger, the whole menu of very familiar emotions Mm -hmm. and fact patterns. And I always thought like, gosh, I wish I could bring everybody together because you'd feel so much less alone. Because when you go outside, you know, there's still the shadow and shame around divorce. Mm -hmm. People don't share that they're getting divorced because they're not going to get a job or because they're going to be frowned upon or because people are going to be afraid to invite them over, you know, like because divorce is catching. And so I just wanted to do what I, I called, I created like the positive divorce movement and start changing the conversation around divorce and make it more accessible for people. And um, Better Apart was really well received. Gwyneth Paltrow endorsed it, which was very exciting. And People Magazine called it the Conscious Uncoupling How-To, which was pretty exciting. Um, But, you know, I just, I really, really wanted from the 
to give a, a gift from the perspective of someone who grew up with parents who were divorced. So mm -hmm. I know even if it's hard, it can be okay. Your kids can be okay. And then, you know, working for a judge, et cetera, um, you know, having some real life practical experience in, in actually resolving impossible divorces. Mm -hmm. um, and that book is divided in like process on like how to manage your feelings, et cetera. Um, and the second half, the first half is around like respect, clarity, peace, forgiveness, acceptance. Um, and the second half of the book is all about the nuts and bolts of like, what do I have to think about with a parenting plan? You know, mm -hmm. how, mm -hmm. what do I think about the financial rollout? All those details. So anyway, so that's better apart. So better apart was purchased, was purchased by HarperCollins in, at the end of, um, 2016. And then we had the 2016 election and our country sort of all hell broke loose. Um, um, you know, people are, we're so polarized. And I was like, oh my gosh, the whole world is in a big divorce right now. And I sort of had the same feeling, you know, and I, I was like, okay, well, how can I share the insights that I have so that people who love each other, maybe you're in the same family, maybe you've been friends for life, but you just disagree on things. How can we start having more meaningful conversations so that we don't splinter our relationships and live in this sort of internal war really mm -hmm. with ourselves, with, you know, how many people didn't go to Christmas because they didn't agree with their, their loved ones politics. It's not a political book, but yeah. it's just about, you know, friendships break down that don't have to break down. Not, not even only over politics. You might go into a business with a friend, but you have really different motivations for why you want to be in business. And maybe it works well for 10 years, but then, you know, one of you is really happy and you think it's all going well. The other one of you has much bigger vision that the, the other one isn't interested in. And so does that friendship have to end? It can end, unfortunately, as we're all aware, if you don't understand how important it is to understand the emotional story of the argument for both people. Mm -hmm. So that, that's what motivated me. And that, that book is called The Secret to Getting Along. And that, that's the one that just came out. Okay. So the, the burning question I've been <clears throat> wanting to ask you while we've been together how do we solve the unsolvable conflict in our lives? What's that one piece of advice that we could all so, use uh, to be better yeah. at that? So the answer lies in the last step of the yes method. Okay. And that's shelving. Hmm. Shelving is all about pausing. It's about giving yourself a timeout. There's very distinct things that we can do. Mm -hmm. In order to pause, even when we're feeling really amped up. So I'll tell you really really quickly, two of them. Okay. One of them is literally to just embrace a, a breathing practice, which you have to practice when you're not activated or you're never going to do it when somebody's pissing you off. Right. So mm -hmm. it's just breathe in through your nose for five, hold it at the top for a count of five and breathe out for five mm -hmm. eyes closed for five, a cycle of five. It takes literally a minute and a half. Everybody has time to do that. You do it when you wake up, do it in the middle of the day, do it at the end of the day. There you got a five minute investment. Now you're with somebody who's making you angry and you're like, oh, I can breathe. Maybe you can't close your eyes because it will be like a big drama, but you can just quietly go. And it's it literally, if you'll find if you do it, it will mm -hmm. slow down your whole central nervous system. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that you can do that can um, interrupt the, the cycle, the loop, is not stonewalling shelving, but setting a boundary 
so that you have time to regroup. Now, boundary setting is really hard for a lot of people. There's a lot of people pleasers who say yes when they mean no, mm-hmm. or who say nothing when they're not sure or they mean no. Both of those things cause a lot of arguments. But what happens is rather than shelve, if you're a people pleaser, you might be inclined to say, oh, yeah, that sounds fine. Or you just want to be done. Mm-hmm. Right? And so rather than doing that and rather than stonewalling or you know, just quietly smiling and not saying anything, you can say, I need to think about that. Can I get back to you? In five minutes, in five hours, in five days, next Friday, whatever, always, and then get back to them. But give yourself the gift of time. Mm. So that that's really a step back mm. is always the best way forward. Mm. It just is. Right. Yeah. Cooler heads prevail. You get yeah. the time to think about it. Exactly. Yeah. The time to think about the time to allow the settling, the time to think about how important is this relationship to me? Mm-hmm. Um, can, and, and to tell yourself a positive story about the other person, like you might be dealing with someone who you just don't get along with, right? Like, it's not like a magic potion. Like you're not going to get along with everybody and, and that's okay. There's sometimes it's better to walk away, but you don't have to walk away and blow everything up. Right. Yeah. So then they're telling somebody else's story about you or something like that. Yeah. Whatever it is. Or so they don't right. you know, burn the house down, like quite right. literally. Yeah. You know? Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. So going forward, what do you kind of see uh, as the biggest opportunity for you and your practice going forward? I I mean, working with people around the country who are looking to divorce well um, online, I am very excited to really focus on the practice now. I, you know, mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time in the last five years writing books and doing talks and, and I still love doing those things, but just focusing a little bit more on the nuts and bolts of the practice. Okay. Uh, where my head is at right now. And, and I am still the co-chair of the American Bar Association Mediation Committee mm-hmm. and um, amplifying the message of mediation as the best way forward, but mm-hmm. an informed mediation process, not a blind, oh, let's just do this whole thing cheaply and quickly. That is not a good answer. Never, never, never. You want to get in there, understand the details. Don't be afraid to bring the lawyers into the room. It, it's fine. We can work out anything, mm-hmm. really. So yeah, I, it's everyone's benefit that that, that, that takes place. That's right. And and it's yeah. funny. I find that I really um, when I, I spent about a year not seeing many clients just doing the talking and, and I, I found that I really missed the client contact. It's really mm-hmm. it's a lot of fun. Believe yeah. it or not, I'm like crazy. I, I think resolving terrible divorces is fun. I'm like, oh, well, what it is, it's it's the rush of the resolution that yeah. you help them get to the to the agreement that seemed impossible. Yeah, right? That's right. it's the same thing for me. I mean, that's the rush that I get in working with people is helping them to see the way forward on how they can accomplish what they want financially. When, when they came in, they were either confused or unsure of how it was going to work. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's That's the rush. So on the flip side of that, then what do you consider to be kind of the biggest challenge or obstacle that you have yet to overcome or that you want to get, want to get through or get over? Oh my goodness. I have so many obstacles. Let's be honest. <laughs> Let's pick one. Let's pick the big one. You know, shiny objects. I'm always, you know, it's hard for me to um, say no when people ask me to come and talk and teach. So yeah. I, I am limiting um, some of my talking 
to just certain um, opportunities that present okay. instead of just saying yes to everything. Cause I was really flying all over the country and it was like, you know, it was fun, but like, wasn't really helping me, yeah. helping yeah. me the world. So, you know, taking my own advice and setting that boundary, really mm-hmm. important. Okay. And if people want to learn more about you or contact you, what is the best way for them to do that? And just go to gabriellehartley.com. It's G-A-B-R-I-E-L-L-E-H-A-R-T-L-E-Y.com. And everything's there. You can book a half hour consultation. You can, you know, read all about me. And if you wanted to um, have a quick chat about process, you can do that as well. All the information is there. And if you are thinking of mediating and you um, are not sure how to talk about it to your spouse, I do right now have a script up on how to talk to your spouse about mediation. You could just opt in for that as well. Okay. All right. Awesome. No, that's, that's really helpful because some people don't know what they might say or how they would position it with the spouse. So having some talking points is good. Well, listen, I want to thank you for taking the time to be here with me today. It's been a true pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. Yeah. And I want to thank everyone for tuning into the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're hoping to raise the financial Confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Take care, be well, and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.